women have a unique role in creation. Women are the nurturers, the birth givers, the more spiritual of the genders. And Torah teaches that women have a special status. Join Mashi Lipska for the next hour as she expounds the Torah wisdom specific to women. Only on 101.9 High FM. And a guten Erev Shabbos. It's been such a long time. I'm delighted to be back with you. Yes, we were away. Baruch Hashem for family simchas. Thank God God gave us the strength and the ability to go and to come back in good health. And we are so grateful. Indeed, it's an incredible time that we find ourselves in. And this week and next, we'd like to explore that. But the time that we find ourselves in is that we've gone into the second Chumash, the Chumash called Shmois. Now, we have left the first Chumash, Breshis. In the first book, Genesis, Breshit, Breshis, we were a family. In Shmois, we're becoming a nation. And every word of Torah speaks to us who we are, what our challenges will be, how to handle them, the personal challenges, the national challenges, the universal challenges. It tells us, it speaks to us of who our grandparents were, reminds us of who our parents were, who our siblings are, were, but also who our leaders are. In Bracious, we encounter the Ovois. Only three were crowned with the name Fathers. And their example, their life story, the way they met their challenges, bequeaths to their children the strength to do the same. As our sages tell us, Masay Ovois Simon Levonim, that what happened to the fathers is an indication of what would happen to the children. But it's also Nesinas Koyach Levonim. It empowers us. They trod the path. They blazed the trail from Abraham who was one against the entire world. His philosophy was different to that of everyone else. <coughs> and the challenges that Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov encountered within the family, with the community, and so on. But essentially, there was a family. It was a home. They were protected. They knew who they were. And we study about the challenges they endured and their undying desire just to stay connected to the one above and to serve him. And they loved him. And he, they felt his love no matter what happened. And we read about and we experience their love, their unconditional love for their children, how they interacted with one another. And they all clearly speak to us. To us as individuals, to us in our personal lives, in our family lives, 
in our communal lives. Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, the fathers. Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, the mothers. They lived real lives. They were really married. They really had children and challenges with their children. They really had health issues. They really had shidduch issues. And the way they dealt and how they never lost who they were and how sometimes God's divine providence took them to very, very challenging places, physical, personal, and so on and so forth. Nevertheless, their sterling example is clearly etched for us, not only in the Torah, but in our DNA. Each one of us will encounter somehow, as individuals, as communities, as nations, and all of us together, sorry, as a nation, all of us together, how we interact with all of God's creation, inanimate plant life, animal life, man, has all been set out for us in that blueprint. We just need to study and connect with it. But now that family descends into a place called Mitzrayim, where the king is somebody called Paro. In Mitzrayim, they will encounter being enslaved, hated, anti-Semitism. It started there. Why? Why are they afraid of us? Why do they hate us? Because we represent something higher, something greater. In truth, they respect it, but they fear it because it puts everything that they stand for and believe in and the lives that they lead into jeopardy. It's a threat. It challenges. And we know that at the very beginning, God created heaven and earth But there's heaven in earth and in everything that we encounter. God's word is bringing it into being. God's divine providence is directing it. And the process of creating a home for God in this world, in the second book of the Torah, goes to a new level, takes on new meaning. Now we are strangers in a strange new place. Why? By divine design, because Hashem made it. He made a famine in the land. There was hunger. And God made Joseph go ahead. It's so complicated. But in hindsight, it's quite simple. But it's painful. It's challenging. It's difficult. And the challenges are most of all for the individual to choose correctly in whatever situation we find ourselves in. So Joseph descends to a place called Mitzrayim, which we translate as Egypt. But the word Mitzrayim is limitation. Meitzar ugvul, boundary. Tsar, like tsoros, gvul, limitation. Because Mitzrayim represents a philosophy and lifestyle of looking at everything the way it seems to be. 
and that people are in charge and that nature is in charge and that the way the world runs, to a certain extent, we have control over it. Mostly we have control over it. And whether it's by force, with arrogance, with self-pride, Paroi represents all of that. Paroi who proclaims, I am God. The River Nile belongs to me. I made it. I'm not like other human beings. And Paro represents the animal drive within us, represents that friction, that difficulty that we all live with in our lives in this world and the part of ourselves that we're meant to refine and change. You know, if we go to the end of Parshas Bracious, finally we thought we had sorted ourselves out. Yosef and the brothers are reunited. Finally, Vayechi and Jacob is able to live the 17 best years of his life there in Egypt, seeing how his children live together. And of course, because he has sent Yehuda ahead, to establish a yeshiva, a house of learning. Therefore, the best years of his life were spent in Egypt, which represents the antithesis of combining living in this world, but at the same time above this world. But we are never meant to rest. Just as we had sorted ourselves out, new challenges arose, and they will arise. And that's the story of our lives. As my father of blessed memory used to say, the bear climbed over the mountain. And what do you think he saw? He saw another mountain. And what do you think he did? He climbed the other mountain, and what do you think he saw? What wisdom. We need to continue to grow, to climb, and to expect that things are not going to be smooth and even. Not in our marriages, not in our personal development. We're never there. As long as we're alive, there are going to be challenges, things that make us uncomfortable, things that make us insecure, things that challenge the way we live, the way we think, because Mashiach has not yet come. And the Jewish people, the family of Jacob, is living the story of our lives. They come to a society outside of the holiness of the home of Yaakov. And then Yaakov passes away, so they're outside of the holiness of the presence of Jacob. And Jacob, when he was alive, there was direct direction, guidance. And then gradually, each one of the 12 brothers passes away. And when the last one, Levi, passes away, then what happens? It says, then they began to enslave us. But in truth, then we began to assimilate it was a real challenge. The Egyptian culture was so attractive. Beauty. 
the external. But while the old people from the old country were alive, and you could see them, you actually held on tightly, and the Jewish people then remained loyal. And there was no enslavement. But then the Shibud, the enslavement began. From the time that the last of the tribe's lady passed away, the situation quickly deteriorated, and it fell lower and lower. And in their lives, Hashem was more and more hidden, and therefore, from the outside, the difficulties increased, and Hashem seemed not to be there, God forbid. And the Egyptians, the Mitzrim, those limited beauty worshippers, arrogant people, Pharaoh, the animals, the animal soul, became the obvious or seemingly obvious power, the director of the fate of the Jews, the destiny of the Jews. They seemed to be too powerful to overcome. But our mission is to see the hand of Hashem in daily life. <clears throat> to live in the world, but above the perceived reality. That's called living with Hashem. The time in the Holy Land of Israel was a preparation time, like being in the yeshiva or in the seminary. Having that special gap time, gap year. But of course, no matter where we are, Hashem never leaves us. And the amazing thing is that anything we do right, he counts as a huge merit. And the Jewish people in Egypt did not change three things that they had from their parents' home. They kept their Jewish names. They kept their Jewish language, Hebrew. And they kept their garments, their modest garments. So, so what? It seems very external. If they weren't doing the mitzvahs and they just kept their name, their language, and their garments. But the message is that in the merit of that, they were redeemed. One of the merits. That was the merit that kept them sensitive. That was what they did that allowed them to hear the message of the redeemers. It's the external that matters. That's the story. The external protects the internal. The internal is the soul. The essence. The internal is the eternal. And a name, well, we're told that one's Jewish name must be chosen carefully because it is the name of the soul. And just to say that when we choose a name, it should be a biblical name or for someone in the family, but it should be their name, not like a Mickey Mouse version of their name. The authentic name. They kept their names. And the name is the name of the Neshoma. They kept their language. Our words create an atmosphere. And the holiness of the Hebrew, the holy tongue, became the atmosphere for the neshoma. And they kept their levush, their garments, which is a frame for the neshoma. 
The soul is an actual part of God above and it deserves to be framed in royal garments, in something that evokes a feeling of respect. And of course we all have the faith of our forefathers flowing in our veins. And it's easily aroused. So when in last week's parsha Moshe came and he said the magic words that they were waiting to hear and the words were that Hashem said, I have remembered you. And he actually used those words because before he passed away, Joseph had said, God is going to remember you and take you out of this. And it says there, and the people believed. Why did they believe? Because we all have it. We all believe. We all believe that Mashiach's going to come. Deep down, or less than deep down, we all believe ani ma'amin. I believe be'emunah shleima be'viyas ha'moshiach. And you know what? All of us, our parents, our grandparents, their great-great-grandparents, all the way back to Abraham, have been working towards the very same goal for thousands of years. And it's cumulative. What do we want? We want to enter the promised land. In other words, the time of Mashiach, when the entire world will be relieved of all pain and suffering, all competition and strife, when there'll be the ability to openly serve Hashem, not only the Jewish people, but all the nations in the Holy Temple in Jerusalem on a higher level, and we'll all be united. So what do we need to do about that? We'll be right back after this to talk more about this. You're listening to Conversations with Mashi only on 101.9 High FM. I'm Mashi Lipsker. I'm delighted to be with you now back on High FM. And we want to continue exploring the message for us in the Parsha of the Week. As the first Chabad Rebbe said, one must live with the times, the Parsha of the Week. It's ours. It's our inheritance. It's like we've got this incredible treasure in the bank and we just need to cash it, get there, withdraw, enrich ourselves because we need to get out there and affect the world and change the world. How? By our behavior, by living in the business world, in family life, in everything that we do personally, doing it according to the treasured direction of our Holy Torah. When the Jews went down to Egypt, Mitzrayim, that was the center of the world. Think about it. We as Jews have always been sent to places that were or became the world center. When the previous Rebbe of blessed memory came to New York in 1940, 
He had suffered untold, unspeakable tzoros at the hands of first the Bolshevik Revolution, the communists, the forerunner to the KGB, and had been imprisoned and tortured, his health broken. And then, of course, he was stuck in Poland in the first part of the war and suffered terrible deprivation personally with his family, with his community, with his students by great miracle, by Hashem's divine grace, he came to America in March of 1940. And when he came, the Chassidim who were there just wanted to look after him and find him a nice, quiet place to retire. And the Rebbe said, no, he'll be in New York because he has come to America because in heaven it was destined that America become the center of Torah. This is before the Holy Land of Israel to replace the destruction of the Holy Yeshivas in Europe. And they said to him, Rabbi, you don't understand. America is different. America is anders. And the Rebbe said, no. He said, America is not anders. There's no place that isn't God's. There's no new world. Everything belongs to God. And when he takes us somewhere, whether it's down into Egypt, by his divine plan of famine, we have a job to do there. Whether he rescues us and takes us to South Africa, to America, somewhere of freedom, of relative security, He's brought us there, and it's always for the same reason. It's to live according to his Torah and make the place a place of refinement, a place of direction by the way we behave. And previous Rebbe said, I've come to America because America is destined to become a place of Torah. And when our Rebbe was asked, why don't you go to Eretz Yisrael? And he indicated what would happen to all the Jews that I'm leaving behind. The Rebbe was in New York, in the center. And from there, from that tiny office, incredible projects, incredible encouragement, incredible blessing, incredible direction beamed to all four corners of the world and continues to do so. Why? Why not find a place of comfort? Stay in the Holy Land. Stay in the yeshiva. Stay in the shul. Because we are here to make this world a dwelling place for God. When one of the chassidim of the Temach Tzedek, the third rebbe, wanted to go and live in the Holy Land of Israel, his classic answer reverberates throughout the ages, Mach do Eretz Yisrael. Make this the Holy Land of Israel. It's not about a freebie. It's not about going to a place which already has it. It's about making the place that God takes us to a place of refinement and holiness.
The world is Mitzrayim, Meitzar Ugvul. The philosophies, the lifestyles limit God and limit us. There's no such thing as a new country. We come to this week's parsha. How are we going to do it? God reminds us, stay connected to your forefathers. They needed no proof. No matter how dark, difficult, challenging, and seemingly impossible things were, from the ten tests of Abraham, to the binding of Isaac, to their being childless for an endless amount of time, to Jacob, his challenges, his brother wanting to kill him. And his brother was so strong. And his difficulty with his father-in-law all those years, and yet stayed connected and raised children who were able to continue not only the tradition and the lifestyle, but the very heartbeat of what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had achieved. Yes, they had to leave Eretz Israel and were given the hugest challenge, affect Mitzrayim, affect the limitation. How? Begin with your personal limitations in the detail of daily life. And when we look at the first seven plagues, which are in this week's parsha, they kind of talk to us as well. The first two, from the water, Water is cold, blood and frogs. We need to warm up what is cold, what is the antithesis, God forbid, of believing that everything is godliness. And we must never cool down our passion and desire to be connected as our patriarchs were in every detail of our lives. No matter what happens, no matter who does it to you, There's a message from Hashem, and there's an indication in Torah as to how we need to react. So first it was to feature this coldness, or coldness to godliness, and Hashem turned the water to blood to say that's our mission. We need to warm up this alienation, this coldness to godliness and spirituality, and don't turn it into a tzvardeya, into a creature into something real in our lives. And the third plague, kinim, tiny little lice. We think the small habits, these tiny things, will not affect our sensitivity, our spirituality. But they do. They erode the quality of life, the passion of life. And that takes us to the next two, which are animals, or even dever, Wild animals, domestic animals, an animal, that's our passion. Whether it's wild or just a bit domestic, you know, I just quietly indulge. These things need to be refined and redirected, that we be passionate, we be wild in our love for the Creator and our dedication to the mission Shrin boils our bodies. What we might think is beautiful might be an ugly boil in a spiritual sense. 
And we must look to Torah to see what is truly the way to beautify the body, the physical, and not, God forbid, to fool ourselves and call a pimple a beauty mark. Finally, the seventh plague borrowed. Borrowed, hail, but a piece of ice with fire burning inside. How do we look at our natures? Do we say, I'm cold, I'm hot, that's me, it can't change? No, even if we have a nature which is a cool nature, an indifferent nature, so it seems, we can ignite it with passion. And the amazing thing is that the water did not extinguish the fire and the fire did not evaporate the coldness. They were able to live together because very often we want to change, but the best we can do is just to behave correctly. There has to be coexistence. What can we do? Or very often in our lives, there are things that hurt us that we want to become cold to. And the message is no. Live with it. Bring your candle. Bring your flame. Don't extinguish it. Don't evaporate it. Live with it. And today is the yard site of a beloved, beloved figure in the Pretoria community, in our community, Jill Katzaleha Hasholeng, a woman who exemplified grace, warmth, dignity, a woman who was connected to every member of her family, to her friends, to her community, just about to her last day, a woman who didn't have the easiest of lives, who remains a candle in our lives, a shining example. May Hashem comfort her dear children, Rabbi Michael and Anne in Israel, Ruthie and Joni, and may we soon be reunited with Mashiach. So, our challenges. We have to remember we are not affected by nature. Not only that, but coming into Egypt, coming into Egypt was there for a reason. And this is what we need to understand. In the part of this week, Hashem informs Moshe that one of the purposes of sending those plagues is to show the Egyptians that Hashem is the master over nature. As it says in the parsha, the Egyptians will recognize that I am God. The word God uses here is Havaya. He says, Ani Havaya. It indicates a name which is beyond nature. And one of the implications of this name is that God is not stuck. He can be merciful. He can show kindness even when logically, really, punishment would be in order. To take revenge would be in order. Well, in that context, the purpose of the Makois, the plagues, was actually to introduce to the Egyptians this concept of God's mercy. They worshipped nature. The Egyptians knew that God was strong. But they thought, they understood that God has this blind judgment. 
and therefore survival belongs to the fittest. But they didn't recognize that God is greater than nature, and he can override the punishing or unforgiving laws of nature when he sees fit. And that's what impressed Pharaoh later on. Not Moses' ability to bring, but to stop the plagues. Because the magicians in his court were indeed able to duplicate some of the plagues because they knew how to manipulate nature to an extent. And they could summon the forces of nature to, God forbid, wreak havoc. They could never reverse or check these forces. Only Moshe could do that. How? Through invoking Hashem's mercy through prayer. And we, too, should never doubt God's ability or his readiness to overrule the laws of nature, of what seems inevitable, the laws of strict justice. How? By invoking his mercy through prayer. Light your candles at 6.15. Shabbos ends at 7.37. Good Shabbos.